Um, one thing that I will not, uh, you know, lift the finger to address is the fact that you may hear the mewling of a new batch of kittens. Oh, well, the audience would love that. Yeah. Cat Mama has been busy. Mm -hmm. And this time has found a, um, a thick bed of leaves by the, you know, nestled in the stones and leaves by the by a retaining wall hmm. to nurse. Well, let's all babies. hope we get some of that. Yeah. Um, it would be the biggest attraction to our show. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor, and Interest, the podcast where two straight white guys who went to Yale solve America's cultural divisions by hoping we hear mewling kittens. I'm your host, coming to you from Washington, D.C., uh, Charles Bobinger. With me on the line, as always, your other host, coming to us from Istanbul, uh, David Will. David, how's it going? I, I'm, well, I'm euphoric now that I've been promoted to other hosts. I sort of always assumed I was the, the repeat guest. Yes, as I was saying that out loud, I thought, you know, I probably should um, give David a little promotion. Where, um, yeah, and so <clears throat> we're uh, we're all a little, you know, we can all use a little bit of a lift since, um, as we're recording this, we just learned last night that Senator John McCain uh, passed away. Um, which, you know, it's one of those things where we all knew it was coming for a while, um, and then we get that announcement earlier in the week that he discontinued treatment. And then it still is a shock when it happens. It still feels sudden when you see that uh, notification on your phone as it happens these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I think it did sort of hit me um, as well when I saw the news. Um, it, been, it was nice. One thing that occurred to me, that one of the first thought, thoughts that did occur to me was that um, sort of a small mercy for him that he got to see um, the outpouring of mm. affection uh, that came as people understood, like, okay, this is the time to refresh the obituaries and this is the, these are the last chances we have for him to actually digest anything that we want to say about him although uh, you know who knows how much of that stuff he was he was getting he probably wasn't reading a lot of that stuff anyway but anyway it, just, it occurred to me that it was a, a bit of a small mercy that there was at least some chance that he would see um these positive expressions of uh right. respect and mourning before he actually died and but i mean he saw a lot of those last year when they revealed the diagnosis as well right and it's not like he doesn't know what right. you know people like you know Lindsey Graham think of him um, or or for that matter um, people like Hillary Clinton or, or you know, Bernie Barack Sanders Obama, or Bernie Sanders yeah, yeah. as it happens um, I, I was you know I, I decided to uh, make that earnest comment rather than the other approach I was thinking of taking mm -hmm. which was to immediately um, castigate you for suggesting that anything but scorn and spite and contempt for a warmonger and a racist uh, it was was Harold was uh, warranted as you, as you can as you suspect or well, as you know because I just told you before we started recording um, but as anyone listening might suspect I, I spent a little too much time reading um, 
comments on Twitter from academics and leftists who um, find this an appropriate moment to uh, cast scorn, you know, on this newly deceased servant of the American people. Right. Which is so when people are like truly horrible, awful people, I'm, I'm not so big on the, Oh, you can't say anything bad about them. They just died. You know, when, when we, when we heard things like, Oh, Pol Pot is dead. Okay. You can say bad (laughs) things. You don't have to say nice things. The problem is there are some people who just, they just want to be contrary. They want to um, feel like they have the hot take. And um, the hot take on me, kind of like, oh, I'm a savvy person. I know that he did these things I don't agree with. And therefore, I'm not some fool like you who thinks he was a good person. Yeah, well, fool or like a, just a square. You know, right. just being conventional, a normie, as I believe the you know, the current lingo is, um, where it's like, oh, you know, just because he's some war hero, like, what does war hero even mean? Like, only, you know, only ridiculous moral majority, uh, backwards, you know, Stefford wives type people believe in that. And, uh, yeah, uh, suffice it to say, I, um, you know, I, I find myself deeply interested in and engaging with a lot of what people like that say in a variety of circumstances, but at the same time, or, you know, people who would say something pouring scorn on McCain. Um, I want, you know, I, I subject myself to those hot takes in order to get other things that they talk about, um, you know, and sort of force myself to, um, to grapple with their perspective. Uh, but it is, it makes an unpleasant day all the more unpleasant. And I think part of it is that sort of posturing, uh, just pure sort of cultural posturing. And part of it is, um, I think a, a genuine, you know, you could call it uh, virtue signaling, right? right? That sort of posturing, but, but part of it is a genuine, it's not virtue signaling. It's just an expression of a genuine um, intellectual, ideological, moral conviction that nothing that he did can outweigh the things that he did that were bad. Right. And I I can understand that and even appreciate it. Um, But going back to what you said, you know, it's not like the guy was Paul Pot. You can, you know, you can find his joking about, you know, bomb, 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 Iran. Uh, You can find that abhorrent, you know, genuinely abhorrent and still respect the fact that he was in a interesting figure and, and, you know, an important figure who offered something um, to the American people in his execution of his role as a Senator. You know, the fact that he was independent enough to um, cross the aisle to pass, you know, campaign finance reform or uh, most recently and most famously to, um, join with um, Collins and Murkowski to kill the um, ACA repeal. You know, it's just, and it's just so easy, particularly on Twitter, 
uh, particularly in this current media age, um, to flatten all those distinctions and just say, like, he was a warmonger, he was, a, you know, ultra-conservative, end of story, no, no need to find anything positive about his legacy. Right, which is yeah. a very depressing and shallow way to live, um, in my view, because yeah. you need, well, that's we, why that's, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we, we need heroes, like we need people who inspire us, we need examples to say, okay, I'm going to try to do some of the things that he did and things that he said that are very uplifting and make me feel better about the world, we need those people, and if your standard is absolute perfection, you're not going to have those people, and then where does that leave you in life? Right, well, as, as McCain was fond of saying, as I understand it, um, it's always darkest right before it goes completely black. Yeah. He, 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 which I believe is a, a Chairman Mao quote that he was very fond of. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's McCain was also very, very funny. One of the clips that went around um, just when they were announcing that he was stopping his medical treatment was his Al Smith dinner um, yeah. speech from 2000 at 2008 and you know I watched the whole thing it's really good um, yeah. I mean I know they don't write all of the jokes themselves but his delivery is, is the very timing sharp is important and, yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, he, he does it very well and I mean especially in my mind I spent the whole video mentally comparing that to Trump's Al Smith dinner speech which right. w received you know universal scorn I mean from people who watched it I don't know how many people watched it that were I mean, if I remember correctly, I, I didn't watch it recently. I mean, I watched it when it happened. Um, but uh, if I recall correctly, people booed it. Like people. Yeah, didn't and there was the, one of the it, most famous parts think... is there's this. There was a very old, very proper looking man in his white, um, his white tie attire with a shocked look on his face after one horrible yeah, thing right. Trump said, and people would zoom in on that and be like, "This guy is all of us right now." Right. Um, right. Yeah. So we. <sighs> Yeah, well, now that you mentioned Trump, though, I mean, one thing that I think... Yeah, he uh, had to come so, up eventually. Yeah. It's depressing, but it had yeah, to happen. Yeah, well, having... Yeah, have, so having, anyway, having, you know, said what I said uh, earlier, and I'll go go even more to say, you know, the point that I brought up either last week or, you know, our last episode or one of them uh, relatively recently uh, before that was that I, I wanted more personality and less ideology in our national politics in the United States, because that's how the system is sort of supposed to work. There's supposed to be a, a certain ideological component uh, underlying the factions, and you know, the Constitution understands that there will be factions and intends to set them against each other. And my understanding of that, again, you know, Federalist 10, my favorite of them all, is um, you know, the more difference you have, the better the system is supposed to work. And what can lead to more difference than the difference of individual personalities? You know, so the more vi vivid personalities you have, strong individual personalities who are willing to buck their party line, um, the stronger the democracy, or the, strong, the stronger the federal system. And um, I didn't have it firmly in mind at the time, but, you know, one of the people I was really thinking of was, was McCain. Right. Uh, because, uh, I mean, you could say McCain, and of course we are talking about him because he just died, but, um, yeah, but obviously the same goes for people like uh, Collins or Murkowski. You know, moderates in an age of extremism, 
that also counts. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, I, I do want to repeat that, um, you know, McCain kind of showboated um, and his big gesture for the ACA wouldn't have meant anything if Mikowski and Collins hadn't held the line for weeks, you know, so that, that also needs to be said. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to put that additional yeah. bit of praise on, um, you know, on the, on the record for McCain before saying, you know, since you mentioned Trump, you got to add to these other criticisms of McCain or whether you voice them or not, you know, his legacy does also include Palin. Right. And, uh, the acceleration of our descent to the Trump presidency. I don't think, you know, the forces were there, um, already, but I think the acceleration towards Trump was, you know, you could, you could do worse than date it from, uh, McCain's selection of Palin yeah. when the lunatics were brought inside the, the war room as it were. Yes, I, I agree with that. And, um, but I, I, so I have a little bit further to go on, on referencing Palin because I was just, I was just thinking about this earlier this morning, um, which is that, uh, the pick of Palin is why I think that McCain, though a war hero and a lion of the Senate would not have been a great president is because he is, uh, impulsive. Right. Um, he tends to, he tended to make, um, decisions like picking Palin without going through enough of the vetting. And um, if you go back to 2008, because I remember when he picked Sarah Palin, and, um, you know, I had heard a little bit about her as the governor of Alaska, and, you know, she was very highly thought of at the time. Uh, if you took a very surface-level right. view of Palin, she did seem to be a bipartisan, let's work together right. Um, right. governor who was a sort of get the, let's get things done and... Um, you know, she was she was fresh and new, and on the surface level, there was a lot to like about picking Sarah Palin. The stuff that made Sarah Palin horrible and um, you know disastrous for the country, that all came out later. And yeah. I don't like a, a proper level of vetting could have caught a lot of the, those issues. I don't know how many, but like her nastiness, I don't think there was any record of that that they could have really gone on at that point. Her cluelessness, they could have figured out, but. Um, so I think, you know, Palin is is emblematic of where McCain would have been a bad president solely on the level of impulsiveness. But you could see in the pick why his personality thought this is the kind of person we need, because he says, here's another maverick who's going to buck the party line at a time when, you know, we just gone through the Bush era where a lot of people just towed the party line on everything and it did not go out so well. And yeah. um one thing that we tend to forget about John McCain is we call him a moderate, but he's not really a moderate. He was right. a conservative, a staunch conservative. It's not that he was a moderate, it's that he was willing to be bipartisan. And so when you come to the ACA repeal, I mean, first off, he sees it and says, this is a terrible bill. Um, but we all kind of knew that. A lot of the people in the Republican, like you know, other Republicans were also like, well, you know, this isn't great, but we promised we'd get rid of Obamacare. Um, McCain, part of his biggest objection to it is how it was done, the process of getting that out there. Um, you know, we need to go back to regular order is what he said. Um, now yeah, he did which, undercut which, that a little bit by then voting for the tax bill yeah, shortly after. For, I was just about to say, yeah. yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, when we talk about who is 
who's a hero uh, and who are the heroes who inspire us, to some extent we always have to take as our inspirational hero the image, the myth rather than the man, even though we right. should be aware of the man because real people make mistakes. Real people have blemishes on their record. Um, and if, as, as I said earlier, if you go for somebody whose record is completely spotless, you're just going to have nobody to look up to and your life will be, you know, that much more hollow. Right. Uh, and in the case of That's John, one of the yeah. interesting things about, um, well, so, you know, obviously this news of McCain came in and, and like, uh, sort of, um, just, you know, a little depressed, a little depressed about the fact that he died, depressed about um, the loss of one of the remotely respectable members of the Republican Party. It's just the, the further degradation of what should be, I mean, what is de facto and really should be one of the most important institutions in American society, one of the two major political parties. Um you know, it's just that much closer to the cesspool um, sliding in and sinking beneath the cesspool. Uh, so I was a little depressed. And um, and then I happened also, because we were in previous uh, episodes, <laughs> we were trying to talk about the Russians as the Persians. So I was thinking about uh, Greek history and listening to uh, lectures by Don Kagan. And so I was thinking about realism and idealism in American foreign policy. And, you know, trying to just obviously naturally my thoughts combine these two ideas because McCain was a major, major idealist in a not so great way. I mean, a huge part of the encomia that have been showered on him these eulogies uh, are about his, you know, cha championing freedom. Um, and that is a, it's a noble thing. It's, it, uh, it's something that people, regardless of their nationalities and uh, political and ideological positions can nominally support that idea, championing freedom, championing the underdog. But the question is how? And he chose to propose as his mechanism for championing freedom, uh, very aggressive American military action, either directly or through arming American partners and proxies. And um, that's also a pretty, it's a pretty fraught subject, you know. Right. I think we could, if we turn this towards, you know, the Iraq war, um, the Russian invasion of Georgia, we, uh, you know, and, and Syria, um, everything that's happened there, you know, we could, the conversation could really go off the rails and, and, uh, get bogged down into specifics. Um, but, uh, needless to say, um, he's a, very frustrating figure because um, as as noble as his romantic idealistic uh, principles were on this uh, ground or on, you know in this subject area um, they the particular ways that he manifested them were were occasionally um, 
troubling. The, I'll just to put it as sort of vaguely as possible, troubling. Right. Which, yeah. when we talk about the mistakes that people make, I mean, there's there's sort of a when you look at how he got to those mistakes, sort of like how he got to the mistake with Palin. It's um, a situation where he 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 does start with his heart in the right place, the right. love of freedom, which George W. Bush shared. Um, he would have sort of, I mean, if he'd been president, as I said, I think he was a little too impulsive. Um, but had he invaded Iraq as president, uh, and he probably would have, um, you know, I what would have gone very differently is um, while I see him still doing the invasion, and for similar reasons, um, I would see him. Uh, planning for the aftermath in a way that the Bush administration didn't. Um, because there was right. a sort of arrogance on the part of the Bush administration that they didn't need to think about the post-war period. And while McCain yeah. was impulsive, I mean, he, he didn't strike me as somebody who thought, well, we don't need to think about the consequences at all. As Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and also to shift just a little bit, we've been using the word hero a lot, and we haven't actually brought up his um, his military service yet, right. which is how most people know him as a hero. And that, of course, um, has to bring up the, once again, infecting our discourse, Donald Trump, who said, well, he was a hero because he was captured. I like people who weren't captured, which, I mean, misunderstands it. And there's a lot wrong with that. I mean, that's one of those comments where, where do you even begin to tear into that? But just to have one quick point that a lot of people may not be familiar with. We talked about, oh, McCain was, was caught and he was tortured for years he, because he was an admiral's son, he had opportunities for early release and he declined them because that's not the proper way that prisoners were supposed to be released. And so voluntarily doing what's right for your fellow servicemen in a way that you know is going to bring you more years of torture and confinement, I mean, that is a hero. Like, even if you just think, oh, well, getting captured doesn't make you a hero. Well, he did brave and courageous things after he was captured. Right. And that's to say nothing yeah, of the was, fact that McCain was there voluntarily while Trump was getting deferments for bone spurs, which he then right. later could not remember which foot they were in. Right. Yeah, I mean, there there is a um, cheapening of the rhetoric of heroes and victims in our society. I think you know, people who were, in fact, victims, uh, now there's the euphemism of... Um, survivor which is at least accurate right you know if you don't die and something bad happens to you you're a survivor that that is accurate um but i remember a time when um you know the when the word of when sort of the language of heroism was applied to people simply because bad things happened to them and that's crazy right to me because there's you know, it's crazy is a little uh, extreme um Absurd it's, might be a it's better imprecise. word. I mean, the yeah. problem the problem is that uh, it's just the wrong word. You know, words should mean things. And if someone was a hero when the bad thing happened, then call them a hero. But if they simply experience the bad thing and are here alive, you know, it's good that we are now using that term survivor because referring to their heroism or bravery is, is simply... Uh, not accurate in many cases. Oh, believe me, um, I get that a lot as somebody with a spinal cord injury. There's all those people like, oh, you're a hero that you are still alive after being injured. And it's it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's, yeah. Um, I have a, a friend who had been through um, some very difficult um, psychological things, and we sort of have this 
this, there was this joke that we have with each other, which is that people are going to us and sort of putting their hand on our shoulder, you're so brave. And we're always sort of making the, you're so brave joke about like any little thing that happens because it's when you're somebody who has experienced something traumatic, um, you know, it's, you know, that's not at all how you're thinking about it. And that's just, it just seems almost um, grotesque to refer to some of that as heroism. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying about needing heroes. I mean, needing real heroes, needing myths, needing ideals to look up to. Um, and for someone to come to you and try to, you know, make you feel better in some really vague way without having any real idea of what you're experiencing and calling you a hero, all it does at some level is take away the idea of a hero for you to look up to. I mean, obviously, um, I can't speak from experience in the way that you just did, um, but, uh, well, this is, this, is, this is now getting into a sort of a strange territory, um, but I don't, I don't want to navel gaze about the, the various things in my life that I would, you know, it's like, well, I had, you know, I experienced this. I had to overcome this. Um, Says David, because, the straight, cis, white male that we have on. Well, yeah. I, mean, I know, but, but that's the thing. You right. do have, there are still things in life that are difficult, no matter what you're. You know, what it ostensibly yeah, indeed. would be from the outside. I, I mean, since it's now, I think it's somewhat unavoidable. I, I don't really, really want to go there, but you don't have you to. Know, it's like as this, as the straight, you know, cis white male person, like what could you possibly have experienced? It's like, well, you know, like childhood obesity is nothing to sniff at. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I escaped that. I conquered that. And I don't really want to pat on the back all the time for it. Um, and in some sense, it's actually my luxury that I, I mean, it's, it's obviously my luxury that I don't, um, that I mostly was able to just leave it behind in my life, um, in a way that obviously with your injury, you, you are not, um, and people don't see it necessarily, but, um, or also, but anyway, whatever, whatever. So my but, life, so my life, is, take out the injury, which obviously is one of those other than that, how did you enjoy the play Mrs. Lincoln moments? Yeah, but, yeah, well. um, other than my injury, I have had, you know, an incredibly privileged and comfortable life. Now, granted, right. well, that's that important because again, it's like you know, big, we, but... we want to and deserve. The point is, we want to and deserve um, paragons. You know, people to look up to, not uh, not the desire to pull the paragon down to my own experience. And um, one of the one of the great examples that McCain himself gave going back to our subject is that, um, you know, you could look at what he did, which as you were describing, you know, he's injured, he gets pulled out of this lake, you know, beaten and bayoneted, you know, by the justifiably furious, you know, residents of the city he was bombing. Um, and then, you know, imprisoned, brought before the, you know, North Vietnamese authorities and said, Oh, you know, you're free to go because, you know, read between the lines because you're this big man's son and and it'll be a positive, um, you know, PR move for the North Vietnamese. And he, as you already described, willingly submits, you know, subjects himself to um, further torture and uh, that he could not have foreseen the, you know, he didn't know how far the bottom was, was. You know, he didn't know the depths of what he would 
suffer. Um, and for all he knew, he was going to die. I mean, they could have killed him for all he knew. Um, but he, he took that on. We can look at that and say, you know, he took that on specifically out of solidarity with his fellow, uh, you know, service members who had been taken captured, his fellow POWs. We look at that and say, that is heroic. That is selfless. That is courage and you know, physical and spiritual, emotional courage. Uh, and we can look up to that. But what does he do? He takes that concept of the hero and he says, no, I'm not a hero. And he puts it even further up. You know, he, he lifts that ideal even higher for everyone to look even further up to. And, um, I mean, again, this is, I mean, this is why, you know, Trump has nothing kind to say about him because he represents the antithesis of everything that Trump has, um, every behavior that Trump has ever exhibited throughout his entire life. Yeah. Plus, Trump and, uh, wants what Trump wants so much in his life is the respect that McCain got. And Trump is one of those people who, when he can't have a thing, insists that it's horrible. Right. And has to tear it down. He has to bring it down to his level so that and he beneath can destroy his level. it. Yeah. 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 Whereas McCain takes that principle of, um, of courage and willingness to sacrifice for others and puts it even higher you know, above what he did to say, Oh, I'm just a servant. Oh, I just, I'm just trying to do my duty. I'm trying to live up to certain standards. You know, what I did was not, what I did was little, um, you know, and so he's, he's lifting the the ideal up for all of us to see even better and diminishing himself in order to do that. And of course, Trump, as you described, is you know is doing the opposite. In order to make himself seem great, he has to grind everything else right. down into which, the dirt. Which is you know as part of I mentioned heroes as something that inspire. As you said, the example there is Mc, the McCain version of heroism is to constantly be seeking this greater, more perfect way to do it. The Trump way is to say I'm already perfect. You just have to appreciate what I am. Right. Um, whereas the McCain way is to say, I'm not perfect. Here's what we should be aspiring to. And so the Trump version makes us the worst versions of ourselves. Right. It makes us the small, petty people who would drag others down. I mean, the the people who, whether they're on the left or the right, are denigrating McCain after today. That's the Trumpist attitude, the attitude of, well, I have to tear you down. I can't let anybody that I don't agree with on everything, anybody who isn't me because I'm so virtuous. Right, exactly. And it's... it's uh... Yeah, that's an interesting perspective on it, but I think that's not unfair. Um, to, to think that someone would be so uh, again, you characterize it in a bunch of ways, but the, the idea that comes to mind at the moment is so afraid hmm. in their own position that they can't countenance a single moment of acknowledging the good that an opponent did or the, the goodness that they represented in certain aspects of their life or career. Um, and again, you know, refusing to do that and instead preferring to flatten all distinctions into the, 
again, you know, justifiable criticisms that you would have about this guy. You know, the, the, the idea that you couldn't just lay off that for a moment to say, what was it that this person might have done that represented something that I too can agree with? It's just, it's just depressing and it strikes me as a, an example of cowardice to, to, to not believe in your own ideals enough to let them lie unmentioned for the moment as you move to consider the, the great things that this person who was otherwise an opponent represented for your society. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's a, it's a theme that I've been, that I think about a lot is, um, you know, the conservatives who don't believe enough in the power of, uh, I mentioned this in another uh, of our podcasts, you know, they don't believe enough in the attractiveness and the, and the persuasiveness of American society to accept the concept that immigrants could come here and become Americans. You know, that they don't, they don't actually believe in the greatness of our country because if they did, then they would be able to see the way in which America is this unbelievably successful machine for turning people into Americans because it is so good to be an American, you know, and it's just a crazy paradox that the people who whine the most about, uh, you know, um, you know, American ideals, not getting enough respect in American society, um, are the ones who don't, who don't have the confidence in American society to integrate and perpetuate itself, or, you know, integrate new people, uh, into it and per perpetuate itself throughout the generations. And that's, and I see that, I see that uh, parallel to that in this current discussion. Yeah. Right? Well, that brings us to part of the topic that, um, I was, we were going to discuss before was about, um, sort of fake patriotism signaling, um, yeah. which has its, it's, it's, you know, it, it's sort of, based on which side of the aisle you are, it's, it's sort of its opposite with the term, as you've used it earlier, virtue signaling has been having a rise in its use lately, where both yeah. terms are fundamentally the same thing, which is I'm going to take a relatively costless way to say that I believe in something, to say that I am one of the good guys who's like one of you, part of this group, but I'm not going to actually be taking actions that demonstrate that. Right. And, um, you know, for me, the, the example of this where I think I first noticed this and it first started to drive me crazy as a young man was after 9-11 when everybody started putting the flag lapel pin on. Right. Um, that drove me crazy um, because there was nothing really patriotic about it. It was just, oh, everybody's putting a flag lapel pin on. You have to put a flag lapel pin on now uh, or you right. don't love America. Um, there was a lot of stuff in the post 9-11 era in, in the immediate aftermath where a lot of these sort of fake patriotism signals became um, a big thing. Uh, if I recall yeah. correctly, and I could be wrong about this, I had read that the, the entire purpose of having the national anthem, like we have the national anthem sung before football games because of the post 9-11 era. Um, like that was when it started. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I remember reading that um, because that yeah, brings well, us to... You know, the yeah. kneeling during the anthem is a big example of um, these sort of faux patriotism or faux patriotic uh, displays where 
you know, it's good to enjoy the national anthem. It's good to stand for it, have your heart, your hand on your chest and, you know, feel that fervor for what's great about America. But it's great to do that, assuming that it's more than just a symbol. It can't just be, oh, it's the flag and the flag doesn't really stand for anything. The, the problem that I have is with people who take the flag, which is a symbol of America, a symbol of American ideals, and then make the flag the thing that they're honoring and not the ideal. Um, right. It's sort of, I mean, if you go to iconoclastic views of religion, um, and, and I mean this in the original etymological sense of people who smashed the icons because the icons had overtaken the place of the actual belief. Right. Um, like you're no longer worshiping you know, the Virgin Mary, you're worshiping this picture of her. That's not the same thing. And um, people who over fetishize the flag in so doing so frequently seem to forget what it stands for. And that's why, you know, I don't support flag burning in the sense that I think that it is dumb and I think it's disrespectful, but, um, but you have a right to do it. And the flag represents your right to do it. So to try to pass a law right. that says you can't burn the flag is entirely antithetical to everything that you're supposed to be doing in that circumstance. But the people who are proposing that you ban burning the flag are not doing it because it's logically consistent or that it needs to be done. They're doing it because they want to signal to everybody else, look how patriotic I am, that I care yeah. about the symbol of patriotism more than I care about the substance of it. Right. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the law that prevents the burning of the flag is the law that strips the flag of any value. Right. Yeah. Um, paradoxically. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, I, I agree with you that... Uh, <laughs> Is laughing again at the moment of uh, just what a what a scintillating you know spark filled uh, set of conversations we have where every uh, exchange every handover of the baton is you know yes that's right you know oh I agree with you so much no well, we disagreed uh, a lot last week it's fine yeah uh, but, you know you need large groups of people need a variety of mechanisms to keep them in harmony, in any kind of harmony. And in a democracy, one of those mechanisms is a way to disagree with, with one another and to argue and yell at one another. Um, but one of the mechanisms is, uh, you know, another set of mechanisms is uh, the, is various symbols that tie people together and give people ways to read into the same thing uh, a variety of meanings that are most significant for them. And so, you know, a bunch of different people can look at the flag and all see something important, but when asked to explain it, you know, could explain different parts of it. And that's a good thing for a, for a big, complex society. It's a, perhaps a, a crucial thing. And so in order to preserve that, I agree with you that, you know, it, or I, 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 you know, also share your uh, basic stance that you're like, yeah, it's not good to be, or whether it's good or not, I just don't feel that great about, you know, disrespect towards these core national symbols. Um, and it's probably best that most people, most of the time, not want to tear down the symbols but when there's a crisis, when there's some problem that results in people coming up and saying, 
I can't afford this. Like, I'm going to use this moment of regard for a symbol as an opportunity to express my grievance with the society. That means you have to look at the grievance and, and evaluate what's going on there. And when it's in the case of taking a knee during the anthem, um, you know, again, it's not that they're protesting the anthem, right? I mean, that's the stupid or, or right. protesting. That's the, the lie. That's I mean, the slander that's against the, them. It's the slander against them. No, they're taking an opportunity where people's attention is fixed on them to say, we have a grievance that does not allow us to participate sincerely in this joyous moment, which, you know, I can't remember what it was, but just a couple of weeks ago, I, um, sorry, yeah, maybe a month ago, I, uh, listened to a lot of performances of the Star Spangled Banner hmm. on, on, uh, YouTube, you know, and there were some really fantastic ones and, you know, Whitney Houston, uh, Aretha Franklin, the recently deceased, um, you know, and, it's just, a, it's a wonderful thing. And I, I thought a lot about it and it just made me feel happy, you know, cause, uh, I'm, cause I like being an American and I like what it, what that's, um, you know, I like the symbolism of the, um, of the song, which actually, if I, if I may take a little detour, you may, um, since we're on the subject of McCain, right? Like some people, um, have expressed dissatisfaction, but I, I, as I understand it, there is a, uh, something of a preference among anti-militarist people to basically say the Star Spangled Banner is not an ideal national anthem because it is too uh, jingoistic and mm. militarist as opposed to America the Beautiful. America the Beautiful would be a much better national anthem because it's about this bountiful, peaceful land that we all you know, have an opportunity to, to prosper in, you know, that would be a much better message. And what I, um, would say to that, I mean, there's a certain credit, I mean, it's, you know, it makes sense. There's a certain basic, uh, strength to that argument. But to me, the meaning of the Star Spangled Banner is the hope and, and, and endurance through the doubtful night, right. right? Like, so it's not really about fighting. It's not about the rockets in red air. I mean, the rockets in red air are, are both. Wait, they're, it's the rockets red awesome. glare, right? Or excuse me. Yeah. Well, yeah. The rocket, the rockets. You're about to pull a Trump on us and not know the word. <laughs> it's why you're talking about it. Yeah. Well, just to, to go a little bit further into ephemera. Did you, I mean, did you see this thing from today where, or I guess like yesterday where he like, didn't color the flag correctly. I did. He gave it. He made it look like the Russian flag. <laughs> yeah, that's just. Crazy. Who knows what the story is there? And someone accurately pointed out that maybe. I mean, it is. This is unlikely. I mean, he probably was just a moron and randomly coloring it in because he doesn't remember anything because he's demented. That was probably the explanation. And but if you look at it, possible. like it didn't even make sense with the, the way that he put it in for the lines. Even if he had it confused as to how the colors alternate, it still didn't make sense. Right. But it's, I mean, it's possible that he was like, you know, oh, what color should I use for this? What, you know, right. and like talking with the kids. Well, I think he was just intimidated by the kids' giant hands. Yeah, that's the likeliest explanation. 
Um, but no, but anyway, going back to the rockets and the bombs, yeah. you know, the, the point is that it's it's not like, you know, oh, we're Americans, shock and awe, we're going to bomb them and rocket them to death. It's we are clinging to the ideal of freedom. And through the dark night that we don't know, we don't know what verdict, you know, will be reached. Can we endure and can this experiment endure? And, you know... And that's the theme of the Gettysburg Address, light, too. What do we see? You know, we see the flag is still there. The ideals are still there. Our country is still there. And and that's all it means. And that's that's something that... Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's Obama. That's MLK. That's the long arc of history. That's, as you said... The uh, Gettysburg Address. Gettysburg Address. I mean, that's a... It's the more perfect union. It's a, it's a right. great anthem. Uh, if yeah. you if you see it that well, way. and I mean to to the, the the two quick notes about that. I mean, the first is people often forget that's the War of eighteen twelve that it's written during, which is you know a war we sort of lost. I mean, that's where the, the you know the, the well and, and started. I mean, it's a bad that was a bad war. It was, was it a... was wrong for a lot of reasons. But the other part yeah. about it that you know what this reminds me of is well, that's Poland's national anthem too. Poland's national anthem is Poland is not yet lost. Hmm. So it's not even that unusual among national anthems to have the theme be, we're not gone yet, we're still here. Right. In Poland's case, with everything Poland has has suffered and been forced to endure over the centuries, it makes even more sense. Um, but yeah, that, that theme that we're going to survive this dark night, that's, you know, that's a common theme in national anthems. It's certainly better than something that would be jingoistic or, um, oh, look at our great military and how powerful we are. No, this is the theme about, okay, we're going to endure the night. Just like, we're, and, and that's the sort of message of hope that we need right now because America, at least the survival of its system as we know it, is in a dark night right now with Trump. Because yeah. uh, there's, and I know a lot of people who, would be Republicans would say, oh, that's over. You're going way over the top. That's completely unnecessary. Um, but no, <laughs> our show has basically taken the position that Trump being elected was a disaster and he is doing what he can to dismantle um, what makes our society great. Not just immigrants, but um, you know the fact that he was he's willing to be so blatantly and openly corrupt, not revealing yeah. his tax returns, maintaining monies from his businesses, having a hotel where everybody knows you're supposed to have to stay to curry favor with him. Um, you know the whole Wilbur Ross stuff that's been going on with his insider trading about this. The fact that at this point, the first two people who in in Congress, the first two people who endorsed Trump for president, have been indicted. Right. Chris Collins right. and now Duncan Hunter. And you know who the third person in Congress was to endorse Donald Trump? Jeff Sessions. <laughs> Jeff Sessions, who, by the way, I will pause and say, Jeff Sessions has, um, it, it, on the issue of his recusal and the things that have made Trump mad at him, Jeff Sessions has uh, acquitted himself very well. On the issue of everything else he's doing as Attorney General, you know, I'm I'm very much opposed, but... Um, yeah. To the extent that he has had, it's that McCain-like character that shows up at the critical moment, um, just like the ACA repeal thing. That was the critical moment, and Jeff Sessions yeah. had a flash of character that showed up at the critical moment, where this is the point where this his boss is really, really putting the screws to him to do something that he knows is wrong, and right. he's refu and it would be so easy for him to have just done it, and he chose. Well, not I to. guess. 
I think maybe part of this is that it would have been easy for him in deference to the boss not to have recused himself. But I think, yeah, I'm not sure how much credit I'm going to give him. I mean, I understand your point, but um, I think that having having recused himself, it then became a matter of, I mean, is it, is it character or is it pride, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that he's in that position and he's, what, is he going to unrecuse himself? He's going to resign? Trump wanted um, him to unrecuse himself. Right, but then, but then my point is that um, he would really have been, I mean, it, it's not something to praise someone for that they are, um, that they didn't, like, crawl on their bellies right. through a, a lake of slime, right? I mean, it's just like, he has he has some basic self-respect. He's not, once he refused himself, it's like, he did the thing that everyone would have expected government officials to do right off the bat. He's like, oh, I have a prior interest here, I have to recuse myself. He just did that. It would have been easy for him not to have done that. Um, and so he gets a little bit of credit given the Trump lake of corruption uh that we are otherwise dealing with but you know from that moment up to now like yes he's under a lot of pressure but um you know he's he's standing up for himself but the alternative to standing up for himself would be to just completely abase himself so i'm not going to Give him a but huge. See, this is so here we are. We're disagreeing. Um, I disagree because everyone else has chosen to abase themselves. Not, I mean, not literally everyone, but right. so the I others are abasing themselves in front yeah, of him. I scorn those people and I reserve. I mean, this is the thing is like, yes, Jeff Sessions is a moral giant of the Trump cabinet. Boy, like I moderately would, sized person next to like to Mattis say, or something, but. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not even like, um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'll be clear is, here that I'm not a, I'm not a Jeff Sessions guy. I just happen no, to I think that, I don't think we actually do well, disagree that much. I'm just saying that if you judge him, if you judge Matt, if you judge, uh, Sessions by the standards of these other crazy lunatics who are tripping all over themselves to curry favor with Trump, um, through debasement of themselves and their offices, then he comes off looking better. But I think there was a critical moment when he had a a choice that he took the normal choice, which you can give him a little credit for. I I am saying that, which was to recuse himself. But then once he did that, um, all of these subsequent moments of him saying, no, I'm not going to unrecuse myself no, I'm not going to allow purely political uh, use of the Justice Department. It's, um, you know, I'm not. I, I mean, you're right that, that those are basic standards, but those are just the, those are the minimum standards. But the, but the thing that I feel, do. I mean, I think the thing where we're disagreeing here is, you know, those are the minimum standards in the pre-Trump era. In the no, but, but Trump I mean, era, like that actually no, no, is no. doing something. No, no, but what, are, what, what is his, what would his reward for violating those standards be? Hmm. You know, the end of Trump's nasty tweets? Okay, sure. But 
maybe that's something. But would you know? But it's not like he's going to have a political career, you know, after this anyway. I mean, he's just let's say Trump. Well, yeah, like it's it's not like he's um, it's not like if he said, okay, I'm going to do the I'm going to become a Trump. I'm going to debase myself, go and kiss the ring, unrecuse myself, and fire Mueller. You know what would then happen? He wouldn't. You know, he, it's not like Trump would, you know, do something to put him, to make him better off than he is now. Right? Yeah, like, I, I guess I can see that. You're right that there's really no upside. There's very little upside to giving there's in There's no temptation that he is avoiding. Mm, I guess I can see that. Is my point. And yet somehow so many people have been failing at that in this administration. Well, because the other people's temptations are corrupting you know corru- oh, in a corrupt manner enriching themselves through their office you know or enriching their yeah. their friends in the plut- in the plutocracy um well then to shift our yeah. heroism discussion a bit um <clears throat> i will say jeff sessions is no hero but um i still feel that we ought to praise heroic acts because yeah. when it comes to our heroes i mean generally it is just like it's you know the symbol of the flag <laughs> we should praise what it stands for rather than just it. Um, and uh, with our heroes, we're praising, you know, what they stand for, even if they were flawed. Because, um, you know, what, what's amazing to me is still the best, greatest hero. It, it's unfortunate that, you know, whenever anybody's, oh, who's your favorite president? Who's the best president? And I just always have to say Lincoln, which is not an inspired choice. It feels like it's not the hot take. You're not being the savvy right. person who's got, oh, well, I know the truth about this. It's really, you know, McKinley. It's not something something like that. Lincoln, just the more you pour through his letters and his materials, he just really shines through. And he, he has his mistakes. I mean, he is, by modern standards, very racist. Um, but, uh, but so much of what people say to sort of do the savvy, oh, Lincoln wasn't perfect attitude completely misses the point. And when right. you look at what's timeless, and this show wants to care about what's timeless, the timeless part of Lincoln is in his temperament, in his yeah. when you I mean, when you read his letters and his speeches, the ideals that are in there about how he's going to make progress and what we need to do as a society. Those are timeless and they're spectacular. And um, much like the Declaration of Independence, which puts out this ideal that America wouldn't meet for another 200 years if it has ever met it. Um, you know, we don't say, oh, well, the Declaration of Independence is useless because it was written by slave owners. Um, we have to say that the, um, by the way, it's apparently hailing in Istanbul or David is typing. Um, oh. <laughs> my apologies. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, you know, we have to look at that ideal because we have to try to reach that ideal. And to throw aside any statement of an ideal because it can't be reached yet, I mean, where does that leave us? It leaves us hollow and alone, like we've been discussing for this episode. Um, David? Yeah. Uh, what would you say if it turned out I wasn't actually recording this whole time? <laughs> for real? How? What time is it over it's... there? It's like 7 p.m.? Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, for... so... Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor, 